You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. Guys, uh, interested in learning some things that perhaps you've never understood before? Yeah, because I got some fun things I want to share with you today. You know, one of the the simple pleasures of life for me is if I have the time, I love to watch a good movie in the theater. Like, I can watch the same movie at home, and it doesn't quite have the same magic. I love watching a good movie in the theater. Why? Because you got this enormous screen. You have this deluxe sound system. You have the ambient lighting that's just perfect for the situation. You have the really, really comfortable seat. And you have the big bag of popcorn with a large Coca-Cola with a shot of lemonade in it. Oh, man, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, if I really want the wonderful experience, I prefer to go in the afternoon or late in the run so that there aren't many people in the theater with me. Like, I prefer, like, the center seat of a row, and I would rather that there isn't anybody who's a stranger within the next five, six, or ten seats on either side of me. I don't like anybody sitting in the row directly behind me. You know why? Because I don't want to hear you eating. I don't want to hear you unwrapping stuff. I don't want to hear you slurping and smacking and swallowing and burping. I I don't want to hear that. And I do not want to see you messing with your phone. I'm sorry you have to see me like this, but yeah. (laughs) Don't be texting during the movie. And whatever you do, you do not talk on the phone during the movie. Have you ever experienced this? Like in the middle of the movie. Hello? Hey, no, I can't talk right now. I'm watching a movie. No, no, I'll call you back here in a few minutes. Um, I don't know. I think the runtime's like three hours. I, we're about halfway through. I'll call you back. We're, I'm in the theater. I'm watching a movie. No, no. yeah, she called. We're all good. I'll, I'll, we're going to go over there Tuesday. Yeah, no, I talked to her, and Sunday we're going to take those things over, but I can't talk. I'm in the theater right now, and people are starting to look at me. Yeah, like, we got it all worked out. I'll call you back in just a And at this point, my head is about ready to explode. We'd get along, all right? We can go to movies together, all right? Al, we'll let you come along, all right? Because that's Al's and Diane's, you know, Spouses, it would be odd for her and I to go to a movie together. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to clarify, okay? Phew, that got awkward there for a moment. Now, we all have different kinds of movies that we like, different don- genres. Like, my favorite, absolute favorite kind of movie is a true story. If it's based on actual events, I will love that movie because people have endured some incredible experiences of life that I don't want to have to experience myself, but I'd like to know what that was like. Then another kind of movie that I really enjoy is a movie that could be true. It's based in reality. Now, it's not true, but it could be true, whether that's a romantic kind of movie or whether that's sort of a heartwarming story or even action and adventure. As long as it stays in the realm of reality, I like it. Once it starts jumping the shark, you know what that phrase means? When people start doing things that nobody could live through, nobody could actually do, then I just check out. So I'm not a big fan of like part three, part four, part five, part 15 of a series of movies because they always jump the shark. I don't like science fiction. I've watched a few of the superhero movies. Again, 
I'm just not a big fan. I like to stay in reality. Another kind of movie that I like is a movie that's narrated by one of the main characters throughout the movie. So like the movie's unfolding, there's a script and everything's going like you typically encounter a movie, but mainly like the main character is speaking in the background and he's talking about things he would, he's feeling and things he's sensing and words that he would like to say, but in the script he comes out with a different set of words and why he didn't have the courage to say what he was really, th- I, I, I'm fascinated by that. Now there's another kind of movie that I really like, you don't see a lot of them, and I didn't know until just recently that they actually have a name for them. The name of the movie, or the type of movie, is called Reverse Chronology Movie. Reverse Chronology Script. Now, here's how that works. Most movies are told in a particular order. They're told the typical movie is ABC. The typical storyline is ABC. In a reverse chronology movie, it's ZYX. And so here's how this works. You're sitting there with your bucket of popcorn, I mean a bag of popcorn, and um, you've watched, you know, the previews for upcoming movies. You've sat through the, you know, the invitations for you to be quiet and turn off your phone. And um, so then you're sitting there, and all of a sudden the movie begins, and you're just like, whoa, 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 wait a second. How did we get there so fast? That was way too much, too fast. And, and you're just confronted by what you see, and it's a lot of trauma and a lot of drama. And you're thinking, hey, whatever happened to, like, you know, getting acquainted with the setting and meeting some of the characters and letting the script unfold a little bit before we start right, raising the tension in the movie. You're like, whatever happened to just beginning slowly? No, see, reverse chronology movies begin with trauma and drama. And you think, Paul, is there a reason we're talking about this? Yeah, because it's my observation that most people, I'm not saying all, my observation is that most people encounter the story of Jesus as a reverse chronology movie. What's the most common way that most people encounter the story of Jesus? Especially if you didn't grow up around this stuff, you're not familiar with it, you don't know the backstory, you've not been to church all your life, and the first time somebody's telling you about Jesus, what are they telling you about? They're telling you about the fact that Jesus died for you. And then they start to explain to you, he not only died for you, he was crucified for you. You see, that's a lot of trauma. Do you know anything about crucifixions? You see, Rome, Rome had rules. They had laws, and if you broke those laws and you were found guilty and sentenced to die by crucifixion, what would happen is that you were handed over to Roman soldiers. And these Roman soldiers had been trained to be perfectional executioners. Their entire purpose was to make you suffer in agony for as long as possible. In fact, did you know that most crucifixions lasted between two to four days? They were professionals at extending life as long as they could so that you would be in the most, in the worst suffering imaginable. 
And they had a purpose for this. There was a reason why they did it. In fact, they did it for two reasons. The first reason was, if you broke the rules of Rome, Rome wanted to make sure that you paid dearly and that you had a lot of time to reflect on what it is that you did and you would determine to never do it again because, well, you're going to die. And they wanted you to experience that for a long time. But the second reason why Rome did crucifixions the way that they did is that they always did crucifixions in the public square so that as many people as possible could witness what would happen to you or to someone you loved if you broke the rules of Rome. So that's how most people encounter the story of Jesus right out of the start in Gate, is that Jesus died for you, he was crucified for you, and then the story continues, he was buried, and three days later he rose again. That's drama. It's coming up here. The resurrection's all about drama. It's like, wait a second, I'm just hearing this for the very first time. You're telling me that this guy died for me. Not only did he die for me, he was crucified for me. And now you want me to believe that three days later he came back to life. You see, that's hard to believe. That's unbelievable. That's pretty dramatic. What you're trying to tell me in just a short period of time about this person named Jesus. And this is how most people encounter the story of Jesus. You're saying, um, Paul, it sounds like you have your holidays mixed up. Because isn't this the kind of stuff that we talk about at Easter? <laughs> and this is Christmas. Exactly. But see, here's what we need to understand. Is that this truth of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's the pinnacle of revelation from the entire Bible. It's central to our faith as Christians. It's what's called the gospel. It's everything to us as Christians. The entire story builds toward the crucifixion and the resurrection and continues from the crucifixion and the resurrection. But... It's interesting how the Bible talks about this idea of Christ and his death on our behalf. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul writes this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, there was nothing that we could do to make ourselves right with God. We were still powerless. Christ died for who? It's right there. The ungodly, that's us. There was nothing redeeming about us. There was nothing beautiful about us spiritually. We were offensive to a holy God. We were ungodly. Now, very rarely, it happens occasionally, somebody will die for a good person, a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, God did it differently. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still a mess, while we were still broken and far from him and rebellious in his, in his face, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's where the story begins for most people. But I want to draw your attention to an interesting statement. You see, at just the right time, what in the world does that mean? At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we have this phrase, at just the right time. What does it mean? Well, there's possible meanings. It could mean that he died right on time. Like it was exactly the time that was necessary. 
It was right on time. Like you show up at a friend's house for a party and you say, oh, we're sorry, we're late. And, and the host says, you're not late. This party started at seven. You're here at seven. You're right on time. There's that sense to the phrase at the right time. Or we could also read it as just in the nick of time. Like, I'm so glad you're here. You arrived just at the time that I needed for your help. Or at the right time could mean when everything was all set. But just at the right time. It sounds like, it sounds like the death of Jesus Christ was on some kind of schedule. Like it was part of a bigger plan, a greater picture, that in this grand picture, this larger scheme of things, Christ died at exactly the right time in relationship to the larger plan. You see, Christ's death was critical and crucial to the larger plot of the story that God has been writing for mankind. Now, I can't tell you specifically why Christ died at around 33 AD. All I know is that there was a lot of history before that. There's been quite a bit of history since then. I don't know why 33 AD or thereabouts when Christ died in Jerusalem, I, I don't know what was just the right time about that. It's been a lot of history before and after. But here's what I find interesting. That if Christ died for the ungodly at just the right time, you know what that means? That means that at just the right time, Christ was born to save the world. That exactly 33 years earlier than the death of Jesus Christ on the cross outside of Jerusalem, Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Because if the death of Christ was at just the right time, then everything working backwards from there had to be right on schedule. So it was right on schedule that Jesus was born. And it was at that birth that God set in motion all of the things that needed to be accomplished in order for him to provide for the salvation of the world. So we look at just history History unfolding before the death of Jesus Christ that had to be right on time. And so we read this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This all had to occur exactly at the right time. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them. And they were terrified, as you would be if you were in that experience. But the angel said to them, hey, guys, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, because I come bearing good news that will cause great joy for all people. Look at this. Today, in the town of David, today, this day in history, some 33 years prior to the event that was at just the right time of Christ dying for the ungodly, today, in the town of David, look, a savior a rescuer, one who's come to help. A savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah, the long-awaited, anointed one, the king of Israel. 
His name is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So all of that had to unfold at exactly the right time in history. But even before that happened, something else had to occur at just the right time in history, and that was Joseph's experience. Joseph's experience was told about in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. They weren't married yet. They were committed to marriage. They were pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together in marriage, she was found to be pregnant. Pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You see, that's, that's hard for Joseph to believe. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, meaning he was a devout Jew who would only do what was right, He did not want to expose her to public disgrace, which by by law would have been his responsibility, but he had in mind to simply end or annul this arrangement that had been made and to divorce her quietly, not make a big scene about it because he loved this girl, but he he was embarrassed and brokenhearted about the fact that she was pregnant and he knew that he wasn't the father. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and had to appear at just the right time, appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's from God. It's miraculous. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because He will do what? He will save people from their sins. Wait a second. A few weeks later, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. So just a short time before that, an angel meets with Joseph to explain how this is all going to unfold. You will name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. And when he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know anything about the name Jesus? It comes from the Hebrew name Joshua. You know what the name Joshua means? It means Yahweh or God saves. The Lord is salvation. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Even the name of Jesus had to be just right in the timing of the whole story. 
in the previous passage, it just said it was fulfilling what the prophets had said. So we can look at prophecy and things that had happened and been said some 500 to 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Those things had to be at just the right time. So it's interesting, we read in Galatians chapter 4, but when the set time had fully come, here we go, another reference to just the right time. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So we read this phrase, but when the set time had fully come, you know how that's translated best? is that when every exact detail had been perfectly fulfilled. You see, there was details set in motion some 500 to 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ that had all been set in motion and had to be fulfilled precisely according to the larger plan on just the right days. 33 years before Jesus Christ would die on a cross and pay for the sins of the world. It all had to be done perfectly in relationship to the unfolding of time. So it's interesting. You go into the Old Testament. Most scholars agree that there's between like 300 to 350 prophecies about the person of Jesus in the Old Testament. About... um, Get you some numbers here. About 300 prophecies, over 300 prophecies about Jesus were written between 500 and 1,000 years before his birth. 55 of those over 300 prophecies, specific prophecies about the person of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the death of Jesus. Like where he would be born, what would be some of the attending circumstances around his birth, and a few other details that are really impossible for just one person in all of human history to fulfill. In fact, very interesting study done a number of years ago by a um, professor named uh, Peter Stoner. Um, He was a mathematician, and he met with a, a group of graduate students. He had a fascination with biblical prophecy. He met with a group of graduate students and they started to tabulate sort of the math behind fulfilled prophecy. And they came up with this. The odds of one person, like one person, the one person fulfilling just eight of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, for those of you who are a little rusty on your math, those are pretty big odds. I mean, that's what this number looks like. One in 10 to the 17th power. So you get the picture? There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the person of Jesus. The likelihood that just one person could fill just eight of those prophecies is one to 10 to the 17th power. So it's interesting. Peter Stoner writes a book um, entitled um, Science Speaks. And he explains the likelihood that one person in all of history could fulfill just eight prophecies. So you know how this works, right? If you take uh, 10 slips of paper, you write the numbers one through 10 on each slip of paper, put them in a hat, shake it up, blindfold a person, tell them to reach into hat and to select the number three. They have a one in 10 chance of doing that. 
But when you take a number like one or 10 to the 17th power, here's what we're talking about. You ready? Take the state of Texas. Cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars. In order to get enough silver dollars to equal that, you'd have to stack silver dollars two feet high across the entire state of Texas. You get the idea? Now, you're going to put a red dot on one of those silver dollars. And you're going to go through and you're going to mix up the entire state of Texas full of silver dollars two feet deep. Now we're going to take a blindfolded person, tell them that they can walk as far as they'd like, as long as they like, and to pick up the one coin with the red dot on it. What's the chances? That's the chances of one person in all of history fulfilling just eight of over 300 different prophecies about the person of Jesus. All of that has to happen at just the right time in order for Jesus to be the fulfillment of the prophecies that predict the trustworthy nature of our faith. Does that make sense? So, it's interesting. We look at history. It had to happen in just the right way. We look at prophecy. It had to happen in just the right time. But it even goes back further than that. We can look at the idea of eternity. Look how Jesus is talked about in relationship to eternity. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world Language indicating that the death of Jesus Christ was something that was set in motion long before the universe was even created. Look at it, this verse, 1 Peter. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, here's what I encourage you to do. Live out your time as foreigners here on this earth in reverent fear of the anticipation of your father in heaven For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were made right with God. You couldn't buy this. But you were made right with God with the precious blood of Christ the Lamb, of Christ the Lamb without blemish or defect. And he was chosen when? Before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. Through him you believe in God, you've raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So from eternity past, the death of Jesus Christ had already been set in motion. And at just the right time, when everything was properly fulfilled based on prophecy, Jesus was born in Bethlehem so that at just the right time, he could die on a cross outside of Jerusalem to pay for the sins of the whole world. So we read this. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, For he says, in the time of my favor, there it is, a reference to time again. In time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day 
of salvation. So we begin this series entitled Collide with this fascinating look at history and prophecy and eternity. And we realize that at just the right time, heaven came to earth. History collided with God coming to walk among us. And that God who came to walk among us was Jesus. And he came for one express purpose, and that was to be your Savior. So of all the things that we could learn as lessons from a look at these passages of Scripture today, here's the one that stood out to me. You ready? God has been waiting a long, long time to love you. You see, if Christ was slain before the foundations of the world... He was slain for you. And God's been waiting for your birth in human history so that he could demonstrate his love to you by providing you a savior, the person of Jesus Christ. God's been waiting a long, long, long time to share with you the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. God's been waiting a long, long, long time for you to trust him with your life. God's been waiting a long, long, long time to save your soul. So if you're here in this room this morning, if you're joining us online this morning, and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ as your savior, you've never invited him into your life to learn his way of life and to depend on him solely for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life, then what in the world are you waiting for? God has been waiting to become a part of your life for a long, long, long time. Why? For one reason and one reason alone. It's because he loves you. He loves you. He's loved you for an eternity. For God so loved you that he did what? He gave his one and only son who was born at just the right time so that he could die at just the right time. And who knows, maybe today is just the right time for all of this to make sense in your head and in your heart and for you for the very first time to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. And all it takes is a simple prayer. An honest confession of your need for Christ and his help in your life. An honest confession of your need for his forgiveness for the sins that you've committed against the holy God. An honest confession of your need for his help to forgive you of what it is that you've done wrong so that you can be restored to relationship with God because there's no other way that you can be restored to relationship with God. 
So let me ask you, whether you're online or here in the room, would, would you bow your head? Just as a way to carve out a little piece of privacy here in this room. For many of you in this room, you've made a decision of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I just ask that you'd spend the next minute or so expressing your profound gratefulness that God was perfect in his timing for his son Jesus Christ to be born on this earth so that at just the right time he could die on a cross to pay for your sins and that just the right time your path crossed with the message of Jesus Christ and you came to recognize your need and you invited Christ into your life, just spend a time being grateful for the fact that God has loved you for an eternity and you are rightly related to him right now as his sons and his daughters. But if you're sitting here or you're watching and you know in the privacy of your own head and heart that you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are not prepared to admit that yes, you have violated the holiness of God and that you stand before him guilty of his sin. You're not ready to admit your need for Christ as your Savior. I ask you this question. What in the world are you waiting for? The single greatest offer ever made to human beings is the offer of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Savior for your soul. I encourage you to give it some very serious thought about what it is that's keeping you from receiving the free gift of salvation that's available to Jesus Christ who died for you. And if there's something that still stands in the way, some question, some dilemma, some issue, then I'm encouraging you, whatever you do, make it the highest priority to figure that out. Talk to somebody about that. Work your way through it because there's a God who's been waiting in eternity to extend to you the gift of his forgiveness and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your perfect timing that at just the right time, Christ died for me And at just the right time, Christ came into this world to be a savior for me. And all of that happened at just the right time and fulfillment of prophecies made hundreds of years prior. That gives me an enormous amount of confidence to trust what you tell me about Jesus and to know before the world even began, you had already set in motion this wonderful provision of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. God, 
I pray that every day of my life I will live in a deep and profound sense of gratefulness for your remarkable plan. God, do a work in our hearts this holiday season as we embrace the reality of this tremendous collision that takes place when heaven comes to earth. I pray and ask these things in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, gang, thanks for being here today. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.